The following program is brought to you by David Beach, Paul Boyer, and Will Harris. Welcome, everybody, to the May 29, 2020 edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. And uh, as the kids say, we're sure having a normal one today. Wow. Furnace blast of news as I woke up this morning. The war between the president of the United States and his favorite website, Twitter.com, has escalated even further. Donald Trump's tweets about the riots in Minnesota now being censored not once on his private account, Real Donald Trump, but then a subsequent posting on the official White House account also censored. Trump now going further than his executive order on Twitter saying that they should Revoke 230, that of course is safe harbor, what we talked about yesterday, or sorry, on the last episode with Tom Merritt. We're going to talk more about that, more about the stuff in in Minnesota. We're also going to tell you a little story (laughs) that's a little out of pocket uh, uh, about a, a situation in Pennsylvania with some politicians that have COVID. And we're going to have a a, a very, I don't know, cathartic, relaxing. Maybe it's not relaxing. I thought it was a really, really good conversation I had with Kevin Ryan, one of my friends on the trail, who is now a new father. But first. And uh, this is a scene here playing out in Minneapolis. This is Part of the advanced police presence that we saw come over the course of of really minutes when the local police showed up at the fire department or with the fire department, I should say, on that building we showed you that was burning. This is among the state patrol unit that was advancing up the street, saying and scattering the protesters at that point for people to clear the area. And so we walked away. they're using tear gas to to get them out. I'm sorry? Okay. Do you mind telling me why I'm under arrest, sir? Why why am I under arrest, sir? Okay. You are arresting a guy with CNN. We can hold you before than we are with CNN. If you're just tuning in, you are watching our correspondent, Omar Jimenez, being arrested by state police. 
in Minnesota. We're not sure why our correspondent is being arrested. Just some sampling of the sounds from Minneapolis last night. Uh, among them, the third precinct of that city being abandoned by its police officers. That was where the officer involved in the George Floyd death, killing, murder, depending on your flavor, uh, was housed along with the other police officers who were with him at the time. Uh, that also was a sound of a CNN reporter being arrested by the police uh, as if they didn't have enough on their hands. Uh, the police pepper spraying a protester that was giving them the middle finger. And then, of course, the third precinct being lit on fire and fireworks going off around it. This is a explosive situation emotionally, explosive situation physically, as things are literally exploding in Minneapolis. This is probably the uh, the most intense protest, riot, that we have seen in, in many years. Uh, I don't think it is disconnected from all of the tension and uh, uh, anguish that has been caused by the pandemic and the resulting economic fallout. I think that we are in what we like to call a perfect storm where things are, are obviously on edge and now we have a match to inflame this pile of gas-soaked rags. Obviously, this is a politics show, and it's something that focuses more on the electioneering and strategy of said politics. But to understand that, you have to understand the reality on the ground. And the reality on the ground is ugly. Indeed, it bled over into another story that we have covered this week, and that is the continued battle between Donald Trump and Twitter. Donald Trump going to his account today to type the following. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership, either by very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Frey. Get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will send the National Guard and get the job done right. And then in a tweet that is sure to go down in the annals of presidential history, he writes the following. These thugs are dishonoring the member of George Floyd. And I won't let that happen. Just spoke with Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. That tweet was immediately tagged with... Uh, it, 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 it's a warning, a click-through initially. Now I can't even load the tweet. But the tweet initially had a, this violates Twitter's terms of service on glorifying violence. Uh, well, here's exactly what it read. The tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. And so you have to click through to read it. Trump was upset with that. And so it got posted to the at White House account for which it was also given the same treatment. 
this leads uh, for Donald Trump to say revoke 230. I don't know where this goes aside from I mean there's already other protests protests in Louisville there's a protest in uh Oakland last night uh for which uh the the word went out that uh at eight o'clock tonight there will be more protests. I would not be surprised if there is looting, destruction. There's a palpable anger. And there's, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that there's not enough suspicion to arrest the officer that put his knee on the back of the guy's neck. Understanding that this is something that, look, there's a fine line when it comes to restraining people. I get that. And I've said then, now, and forever that police officers, for me, have my maximum respect and are owed my maximum scrutiny. Because similarly, there aren't a lot of occupations for which every time you walk out the door, you have to make peace with the idea that you'll never walk back. But also, there's not a lot of professions for which you can end a life and walk back into your home. And so, that is the duality. And at this point, I believe maximum scrutiny should be placed on this officer. From my cursory understanding of it, this does not seem like a police regulation way to subdue somebody. It did seem dangerous and ultimately it cost a life and now it's costing a lot more now i don't want to get into pairing through who does what in an escalating situation because when we when we start to assume blame as opposed to try to quell the situation then i i believe we only elongate things so i will say as a private citizen my own personal opinion, I think that officer should be arrested. And I think that there should be an investigation into exactly what happened. But it should be done in the way that police often do. If you are under suspicion of something, you can bring them in. You can bring that person into custody before you decide to put charges on them. That happens all the time. And if we're talking about a city, possibly multiple cities, being burnt because of it, the populace is so upset. Well, you know, it's not to say that there's not a rule of law that needs to be applied because I do feel sympathy for the businesses that are being destroyed. But, man, it seems like there is one original inciting incident that can be dealt with. And, you know, I think reasonable minds can disagree about it, but that's just one man's opinion. In terms of the politics of it all, I, I, I think that Donald Trump is hurt by this. I think the fact 
that, uh, you know, he initially came out with, with fairly aggressive language in terms of the George Floyd death. He said justice will be served. He was personally putting, uh, uh, you know, Attorney General Bill Barr on it. Now, we'll see what happens. But for a president, that's fairly aggressive language because there's other ways that he could have handled. He could have said, I have total faith in the governor. He could have said, uh, uh, we are aware of the situation. There's a lot of other weasel words that, that that you could say. And now, unfortunately, he finds himself on both sides of it. He's got to be Mr. Law and Order, and he's got to be Mr. I'm sympathetic to the death of this man. That's not a good position to be in politically. Furthermore, he's also fighting another war with Twitter. For whom I don't understand their perspective in all this. The fact that they are now going to out and out escalate this battle with the President of the United States is... (sighs) Well, I, I mean, sooner try to jump over the moon than understand their thinking. And so here we are. Chaos. Chaos does not benefit a sitting president. Chaos, in general, benefits the person that can say they are most likely to bring order. And as of now, as I record this at 10, 11 a.m. Pacific time... We have yet to see much of anything come out of that Delaware basement that seems like order. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been charged by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office with murder and with manslaughter. Questions? A quick addendum to our opening segment, which was largely recorded before a few things happened. Number one, Joe Biden did indeed speak. From his Delaware basement, it was uh, more of a high-minded speech. He didn't even really go after Trump that much. Uh, Then there was this, the announcement that not only was the cop that kneeled on the back of uh, George Floyd's neck until he was dead in custody, but also he has now been charged with both third-degree murder and manslaughter. The uh, Hennepin County prosecutor, for whom you heard at the beginning, of this segment saying that this is the fastest they have ever charged a cop and that they are confident they can make this conviction uh, considering the fact that they have convicted a cop for murder in the past. Whether or not this will have any bearing on protests or riots throughout the weekend, we will wait and see. Meanwhile, Donald Trump did clarify his when the looting starts, the shooting starts comment that got him tagged on Twitter saying that his point was, which is so insane that this is where we're at, that when there is looting, there also follows shooting from the looters and pointing at gun violence that has happened in Minneapolis and in Louisville last night. Trump then came out to the Rose Garden and delivered a speech. Wasn't really much of a press conference because he didn't take questions. Uh, That was, well, not about any of this. Wasn't about Twitter. Wasn't about the executive order. It was about... I'm here today to talk about our relationship with China. Two pieces of news, one more newsworthy than the other. The first was this. China has total control over the World Health Organization. 
despite only paying $40 million per year compared to what the United States has been paying, which is approximately $450 million a year. We have detailed the reforms that it must make and engage with them directly, but they have refused to act. Because they have failed to make the requested and greatly needed reforms, we will be today terminating our relationship with the World Health Organization and redirecting those funds to other worldwide and deserving urgent global public health needs. Well, this is quite a gambit. Uh, Effectively, it lays the World Health Organization at the feet of China and says, if you want to run it, then you can run it. Uh, But what is a World Health Organization without the United States? It also dares the Biden campaign to make the World Health Organization a priority for them. Now, this is an interesting play because, as we've seen, the idea that China is an enemy is gaining uh, support in both parties. So now Biden has to make the decision that the normal uh, thought would be, yeah, anything Trump does, the opposite. Do the opposite. Trump says defund the WHO, double the funding of the WHO. But if you do that, now you are leading into the criticism from Trump that you are indeed doing China's bidding. We'll see how much this carries favor. The WHO is a very well-liked organization amongst many media uh, members and uh, members of the scientific community. The vast bulk of the WHO does amazing work. The leadership of the WHO, well, that's a political position, and there are very, very heavy trade winds you have to navigate. According to the United States, the WHO did a poor job of that. The other piece of news, and this isn't really breaking because it was foreshadowed by a declaration by Secretary of State Pompeo earlier this week, is that uh, the United States is no longer recognizing Hong Kong as an autonomous part of China. They are then saying that China has indeed subsumed Hong Kong and therefore uh, violated that agreement that China had with the United Kingdom that would leave Hong Kong uh, under its own rule until the 2040s. That now off the menu. So that not that big of a deal. Again, noticeable by its absence No mention of the looting, no mention of the National Guard, no mention of Twitter, no mention of the executive order. We're on to China. All right, here's a quick little story that is totally beyond everything else that is very serious. And this is serious, too. But it's a little bit of a... Well, here, I'll just tell you about it. May 20th, Pennsylvania State Representative Andrew Lewis test positive for the coronavirus. One week later, he tells not only the public, but more specifically, all of his Democratic colleagues that indeed he did have the coronavirus. This is what he wrote. On Monday, May 18th, I was tested for COVID-19, and on Wednesday, May 20th, I was notified that my test came back positive. I immediately began self-isolation protocol and contacted the House of Representatives and our caucus human resources department. My last day in the Capitol was Thursday, May 
14th. And that means that from the point he was asymptomatic, he was likely in the Capitol, meaning that he may or may not have infected his fellow colleagues and then waited a week to tell them. Oh, not really much of a political consequence here, although our fiasco does take place in a political body. The big lesson here, folks, especially as hopefully we are beginning to crawl back to some kind of normalcy here, it is very, and when I say very, I mean extremely important to be as honest as possible with your friends and coworkers and family if you contact the coronavirus. Please, for God's sakes, this is the only way we're ever going to do anything ever again is if you do get it, please let people know. And if you are a sitting state representative, don't be a ding dong. I would like to thank everybody who supports this show and makes it happen. They're making it happen. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Crawling, crawling, crawling. Up the 900s, eventually getting to 1,000 patrons. That's what we're doing. We're already uh, about a baker's dozen. Baker's dozen uh, uh, into it. Folks, $1. $1 the lowest level. Big tent party. I just want you in there. I just want to know that you guys recognize quality content. $3 gets you two bonus episodes. One episode on Tuesday. One episode on Thursday that you wouldn't otherwise get. You get a custom RSS feed. Put it into the RSS uh, uh, or podcast machine of your choice. I don't know why I called it a podcast machine. But you can do it. It's easy. I do it with a bunch of other Patreons that I'm a part of. Then, of course, you got the Titanic $10 tier. Get your get your name read at the end. Or the donor class. Ah, the donor class. Where you get your name during the violin section. The very classy violin section at the very beginning of the podcast. That's it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today uh, and I became fast friends on the campaign trail over the last uh, few months. He uh, very recently became a father. He has written for a bunch of outlets, including most recently The Blaze. And uh, he's here to talk to us about just anxiety. I'm not going to lie. I didn't really have a whole lot to go into with this, but I did know that I feel like we're at a very human inflection point. And if that's the case, then I got to find somebody that can help me decode it. I got to talk. To Kevin Ryan. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, man. All right. I, I You know, I, I just kind of have this feeling. I have this general feeling that we have <laughs> this moment of kind of like anxiety and people are like unclenching a little bit, but they're very fearful of the future. And if, if there's a complex vibe that I need to deconstruct, I know that the man to go to is Kevin Ryan. So I had to just schedule oh, this. Happy. Well, I got a, a white claw in one hand because it's three, <laughs> but time no longer exists. So Exactly. Uh, glad to be here, my friend. Uh, yeah, and also like let's throw uh let's throw some like some other complexity into it. Uh how about like the racial divide? Let's like let's bring that into this whole twisted situation. Of course. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, where, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, I can start wherever. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's start with this. Uh, the last time that we spoke with you on this uh, program, you were expecting your daughter. Your daughter has now arrived. Uh, uh, you know, you were explaining kind of how anxious everything was as we were ballooning into the pandemic uh, about a month and a half ago. How is life now that your daughter's here? Is it uh, less stressful, more stressful? It's, it's a new kind, Justin. It's uh, it's great, man. It's it's beautiful. It's, it's a lot of fun, but I'm also like sleep deprived, and it's uh, every moment is horrific. Uh, <laughs> but it's also beautiful at the same time. I don't I don't really understand a whole lot of it. It, it was it was wild. It was a wild time for her to come into the world, obviously. Uh, so we've been kind of documenting it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm writing a, a short piece for somebody. I haven't I haven't found a home for it yet, but. That should be out in the next month or two. Uh, about Just this about, experience. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, going to the hospital, uh, a quarantined lockdown hospital for the birth of my first kid, you know, and the whole the complicated, all the complicating feelings that come with that, uh, which ultimately is, is beautiful. And going back to what you were saying, at the beginning, like this sense of anxiety and dread that's in the air and uh, all these, this device or this division and divisiveness that's happening and, and carrying that, but also, you know, this new life is there. And I remember walking out of the hospital and uh, my wife was holding the baby and these people were driving by and they were just cheering, you know? Yeah. It was such a, and I looked around, everybody had masks on. It was a surreal sort of science fiction, but uh, I felt good about it. I felt optim optimistic, like people were cheering for like the goodness of life and saying that we, we can get through this and we will get through it. I can't remember if we did talk about this the last time you were on, but were you able to be in the room? Like were, were there differences and precautions in that? process did you have to like stand outside like uh, in Mad Men and smoke a cigar and pace <laughs> well I uh, I wanted to with the cigar part uh yeah I, I was in the room yeah it was uh we, we didn't know like we didn't know up till like the week before because uh, they were updating their guidelines every week and, oh wow and, yeah it was it was pretty intense and you know when I when I went to the hospital it was a Monday and they said I couldn't leave, you know, normally you can, you know, come and go or whatever. Um, but yeah, they said once I was in the building, I had to stay and we were pretty secluded. It was like the quietest. I felt safe, but it was just, it was eerie at the same time. Yeah. That's gotta be nuts, man. That's anyway. All right, I, I look forward to reading. I know that you're going to put uh, put together a great piece that memorializes oh, that. Thank you. But uh, all right. So let's, let's talk about where we are right now deaths uh per day are dropping uh yes. we have uh cases that are dropping maybe not as fast as some would hope however there's a tremendous sure. amount of anxiety on our our state by state decisions to not only officially allow things to operate but also our adherence to this so let me start mm. with this uh, uh case study because i feel like this is like the the rorschach test of our age you're online, 
and you see a bunch of kids in a pool, God knows where, uh, not socially distancing. Are you mad? Are you happy that something is happening? Where is your head? I was pissed when I saw that. Um, just because it's like, I would love to be in a pool. I mean, we, we would all love to be doing that. But, uh, And I think it taps into what annoys me about all this. I'm, uh, the, the political division in it all is annoying. Um, but the first thing that annoys me is that, you know, anyone would think that this isn't the most weirdly, incredibly complicated thing that we've ever been through. This is this is not ordinary. Yeah. And to try and like superimpose normalcy onto it is just annoying to me. It's, it's just it's stubborn. It's like Austin, Texas. If you go to watch a concert there, nobody's impressed. It's like there's good music <laughs> coming in all the time, so they just their arms and they look bored, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, come on, guys, this this is crazy. Like we've never seen anything like this. I mean, a uh, hundred thousand dead today. Yeah, hundred thousand Americans dead in three months. Like, and there's like it's annoying to see this constant process of trying to say. Okay, well, yeah, we, we're tired of this. It's, it's been inconvenient, but we're just going to go on with life as usual. Yeah, on one hand, you can understand it from a human perspective, though, if you haven't seen it. Like, 100,000 dead yeah. is certainly a lot. And there, you know, I've, I've made the case on this program that there's no few things more powerful to our pattern recognizing brains than a big round number and 100,000 of anything. <laughs> from Skittles to dollars to lost Americans are going to be recognized. Uh, but a hundred thousand in a, in a society of 300 million can be diffuse, right? There are certain places where you're going to see it harder hit. And I could only imagine that if you're in a place for which hasn't really been affected and you haven't seen much, uh, and maybe you don't pay attention to the rest of the world uh, the way that some of us do, that maybe this seems like something that you just need to break from the shackles. Definitely. And I think that's part of why it's been what it's allowed, what, what's allowed it to be politicized. Yeah. Cause then we're tapping into this whole dynamic between like, you know, the rural America and then, you know, the cities. Yeah. And inevitably that becomes political. Like, um, and I think that's, I think that's part of what bothers it. bothers me about it. Because I completely see your point. Like, it, it's if if the disease is so foreign that it, like it's astronomical, the odds are astronomical that it would ever affect you. You you get tired of like staying indoors and having to wear a mask or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's also I don't know, man. The, the the spread of it is like the potential for it to spread to those areas is what bothers me, and the idea that like it could make anyone's life worse like it probably won't hit the ozarks i don't i don't know what i haven't been following up on if there were any cases that arose from that instance or or whatever i guess we, we'll see over the next two weeks what this next phase of reopening has done um i don't know man it's, it's so funny like i i'm like you i'll take i'll take any my politics are like issue by issue sure yeah you know yeah. like and you're the same. Um, and on this one, I'm like, put me down as like a raging liberal, dude. It's weird. Yeah. If, if, if we're going, if we're going to be forced to politicize 
stay in versus go out as liberal versus conservative, which is interesting that the go out part of it is the conservative one and the stay in is the right? liberal one. Uh, uh, then, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I guess my big thing, and this is where I would make a political or leadership criticism, is I don't feel like we've done a great job of communicating from a leadership perspective, where are we? When do we get to where we want to go? Right. And it doesn't mean that it has to that, that we have to say on this day, right? It just is saying, yeah. like, all right, well, what metrics do you care about? In the same way that like when we have a drought out here in California, we know roughly how much rain needs to happen for us to be out of a drought. We can say if it rained for the next 40 days, we'd be out of a drought. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like there's not a lot of that now. And that partly, I think, is leading to some people just feeling like, oh, no, this is going to be forever. If there's no metrics, if there's no this was a good day, this was a bad day. Now we can blame it, that chips it a little bit back to man versus nature as opposed to man versus man, if that makes sense. Absolutely, because it's a global it's globally, globally, there's a lack of leadership. I think it's especially bad here in America. And I, I am very much of the mind that you support your president. You know, even if, like, I don't care which party, whoever's in charge, you know, some senators, uh, Swalwell said it uh, today, said, you know, the president's the captain. Um, but the, what's so scary about this, uh, this pandemic, is that there is no captain at all. Like, there's nobody who knows... There's nobody who can provide those metrics. So we're, we're all just like, there's nobody in charge. We're all um, racked with the same, like, anxiety. Yeah. And I, I think, like, my, my sort of optimistic worldview saw this moment of, like, um, global, um, universal um, vulnerability where we, we could have all kind of looked at each other and come together. I mean, it seemed like the perfect moment to come together, like like uh, Sebastian Younger's tribe, you know, the idea of, yeah. like, disasters can bring us together a lot of times, and that's uh, a little confusing, but it's important. Um, and I think that's what I was hoping for, and it just, it just hasn't happened. But, man, <laughs> I'm – dude, Trump – Trump is really, I don't think he's handled this well at all. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I've gotten obsessed with looking back at past pandemics, right? So we had one in 68. We had someone, we had one in 58. And obviously everybody knows the Spanish flu in 1918. That's wound up getting talked about a lot. The other two, not so much, which I find is interesting because we lost mm -hmm. 130,000 in one, 100,000 in another. Uh, so they, they seem to be at least where we are right now when we're far from done with coronavirus. Uh, uh, something at least comparable. But in those cases, uh, it was a lot of the president saying like, hey, uh, wash your hands. There's a there's a real bad <laughs> flu out there. See you later. <laughs> like there, there really wasn't a whole like there wasn't a ton of, uh, of, of leadership on it uh, in general. And I don't know whether or not that partly is because if you run that out long enough, then you see federal leadership hit where it hit in, in our modern era, which is, you know, unless the feds take 
you know, a tremendous reach over the states, then it ultimately is the state's dominion to, to, to do stuff. And so the federal government would rather kind of be absentee on it. I think the problem with the Trump thing, though, is that if if part of the president's job is optics, uh, we, we got our, we got our final our final grade oh. on like will Trump play president? And it's like, no, he plays one role. And, and that's the role of Donald Trump that we knew from the moment that he came down that escalator. I, the, the gold plated escalator, I believe it, it did. That's what I was so disappointed in. Cause I wanted it. I wanted at least the optics to be a little shinier uh, or, or just like, like you said, more presidential. And it's just, I didn't. I also didn't like the, the sloppy huddle where he just told all the governors to go out and you know do their own thing. Um, who who are the presidents? The other two presidents, by the way, in the the those two, the two more recent pandemics. Uh, Eisenhower and I believe Nixon. Yeah, sixty-eight would be Nixon. Interesting. I I I had no idea that they hit that number. Oh yeah, That's, yeah. Because they are downplayed. Everybody just jumps to 1918 epidemic. Which, again, I'm not a virologist, and I will state for the record, uh, to my knowledge, Kevin, neither are you. Uh, so I don't know whether or not uh, the coronavirus. We're all virologists now. Yeah, bro. well, geez, you know, log on to Twitter. You can get your degree. It pops right up. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't. I assume that we tend to compare this more to the Spanish flu because it is deadlier or at least more like it is, it is, it spreads faster than some of the other influenzas that we saw yeah. that, that caused uh, the 1958, 1968 uh, uh, spread. So I, I, I assume that, but even then there's stuff about 1918 that I was unaware of, including and we talked about it on the podcast that like Woodrow Wilson got it and he got it while negotiating an end to World War One, and like his infirmed wow. nature might have indirectly caused World War Two uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Stanley Cup finals of, of 1918 were canceled because somebody died. A Montreal Canadiens defenseman <laughs> died because he got the flu while they were playing. So, like, there's still so much stuff that we kind of don't know, which let me bring this to my next point. Part of what makes the anxiety around this and political exacerbation so crazy is that when it comes to social media and really just our spread of media now, we are always looking for the minimum viable proof for something. So if, <laughs> if I feel upset that I didn't see somebody with a mask outside, then boy, am I going to be upset with this 12 second video of a bunch of ding dongs in a pool, right? With, like without I, any con full context before any context before any context we're just looking for minimum viable proof and and I don't think that it it makes us it, it, or it it really proves anything I think it's just the way our brains work like that's the first thing we see will always stick with us and and the minimum viable proof that fits into where we want to go will blow up in our brains. Gawker used to say, what was their line? This is the age of uh, false equivalency. Yeah. And I think, I think we can add confirmation bias to that. Cause this is, it, it's just like, 
that's that's a fallacy that's just wrecking us. This, just like you said, this, and social media provides that these carefully trimmed videos that give you exactly what you want in order to confirm what you want to believe, and you're just like you said, any any shred of of proof or what can pass as, as proof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and in the same way that like, I mean, God, have you done this where you'll read something on Twitter or online and it'll be like, like a medium article and you'll be like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of good points. That's really smart. And then within 48 hours, it's like, I've just spent the last uh, 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 two days debunking the dumbest medium article that's ever been written. Here's my 19 tweet thread. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a dummy. I guess I'm a dumb person that read that medium article and thought it was smart. It's tough, dude. uh, Bridget Fennessy was talking about this recently, just about how, like, the solution to that is, you know, if you encounter something like this, if you encounter something that automatically confirms uh, what you wanted it to confirm, that those are the ideas you need to resist the most, kind of buck against, and uh, and look into. But I know even in a pandemic, like not everyone has the luxury that we do of like, oh, let me probe through this idea and really, yeah, kind of like uh, a few months ago, I got obsessed with Mount Everest, and that's like. The only thing I focused on for a month. Like, uh, <laughs> give me, give me, give me your, give me your best Mount Everest fact that you discovered. Oh, it's just littered with frozen bodies that are like uh, two hundred pounds heavier than their actual weight because the because of the altitude. Oh my god! So wait, there are they're they're collecting water. Like, is that why they're are they physically ballooning or are they just heavier? in their natural state well it's the weight of the if i understand this correctly it's the weight of the ice uh-huh. and then be, because the altitude because of the altitude in sherpas because inevitably it's sherpas who are going up there to rescue them um for a very handsome fee because of course a lot of times they die on the way back or on the way up uh it's so hard to lift them because it requires like every single step takes like an amount of oxygen that's not even available at that altitude. Yeah. Oh, my Dude, God. I, I, right, that's so, a good yeah, one. That was like a couple months ago. <laughs> it was like nothing but Everest. I forget how we even got to Mount Everest. You but, were talking about, but we not everybody has the ability to go on uh, tangents like we do, <laughs> which is amazing that we responded to that point by going on an actual tangent. <laughs> perfect, man. That was a perfect transition. So what's Oakland like right now? Oakland is uh, in in a bit of a uh, a state of flux. By and large, the the Bay Area has not been as affected as Southern California. I think Alameda County, where Oakland is, is now the most affected out of like San Francisco, Santa Clara, which is where San Jose is, uh, and then some of the other East Bay counties and and Sonoma County up north, but there is a little bit of tension because, you know, we have this really nice lake here in Oakland, Lake Merritt. Uh, and uh, as you might imagine, you know, it's uh, as I speak to you right now, 82 degrees hit 90 yesterday. <laughs> what do a lot of people, many of whom lost their jobs or their jobs aren't available to function, want to do? 
They want to go out yeah. to the lake. And and that now the mayor two weeks ago banned parking around the lake. And now they have cops around the lakes uh, on the weekends, at least. So uh, uh, we, we will see. By and large, I think that there's there's a, a lot of people who want to stay in. A lot of tech jobs, obviously, out here for which work from home was something that was a reality before coronavirus. But I mean, I'll tell you, I'd be lying if I if I told you that uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, all, all I'll say is this. If somebody just slipped me the, the number for a speakeasy, I mean, since we're in the roaring 20s, <laughs> like I might consider it. I take a long, hard glance, Kevin. I can't lie. Well, part of it, too, is and I love this and it also is complicated sometimes. It's so American to just be like, I'm sorry, did you just tell me I can't go to a lake? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not allowed to gather with other human beings and drink beer. Like, what is this? Are we, is this Wuhan? Like, are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's the funny thing is that there's been this whole discussion. We don't have to go into this, but this whole discussion about like Karen's that you know that that uh, oh, like, yeah. uh, that that white women yeah. escalating things and by the way i'm not here to defend or even wade into this particular junction right uh, all i'll say is that excuse me can i speak to your manager is literally how this country got founded so uh we, we should probably <laughs> pump the brakes on saying that this is an un-american thing it literally is the most american thing uh for us to say excuse me no you're not going to quarter your soldiers in my house allow can i please speak to your king who's in charge dude it's we're the Karens of the world. And when Karen <laughs> catches her reflection in the mirror, it's haunting. And so we're just like walking around our houses trying to avoid our reflection, but we can't keep the Karen down, dude. Well, and, and, like, and I think there is there is an element of we don't know what's happening with this virus. Like in any kind of sure. scientific scenario, something that hits at, to this level, like – and I think if there is one thing that I will say out and out is absolutely harmful uh, that's come from this, it's the, politiciza the, the politicization, I'm going to pretend I said that right, uh, of <laughs> scientific did, research. So yes. it's like whether it be how this, how this virus acts, how it mutates, uh, side effects, hydrochloroquine, whatever. Like science is everybody taking their best guess everybody in the world picking it apart. And then from that, we emerge with some kind of collective understanding that resists the most to being torn down. But in that means two things happen constantly. Somebody says a thing, a bunch of other people tear it down. And when we look at those as political victories and losses, or we get political clout from either of those things, it allows us to not only learn things slower, but also possibly actively discredit things that might be correct. And I'm not trying to, to like, I'm not being selfish here, but it also makes it harder on us. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, people are coming to us like, okay, what's going on? Your, your whole job is to decipher this. Like, yeah. um, and, and figure out the truth and figure out where it lies. And for us, we're like, uh, I mean, I'm doing my best over here, but the facts are, keep changing. <laughs> the stories, the the timeline, the timelines are the same, but the the, the the data involved with those timelines just like 
can be injected with something new. And it's uh, like, that's not good. No. And that's the, 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 the answer is we don't know, nor should we expect to know. We can hope to know things as they emerge. We can hope to make the most prudent decisions based on those. But like, I don't know that that's, that's really bothered me. Let me ask you a media question because you are a, a member of the white house press corps. Uh, I've noticed a lot. I mean, media jobs are shrinking. Uh, a lot they of sure are. people, people on, uh, you know, that, that I ran into on the trail and everything now, uh, uh, you know, no longer have jobs. Uh, what do you think the media looks like coming out of this? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think the, uh, not, I think there's an American spirit that will inevitably and has, has already emerged. But it will continue to emerge. Like I'm, for all my, you know, I may criticize America, but I think it's a beautiful country with a, a unique spirit, and we're gonna we're gonna press through this. We're gonna get through this in a way that's just um, unbelievable. And part of that is innovation, and part of that is like finding new ways to perform one of the most important tasks of any democracy uh, through journalism. Yeah. Like our job is incredibly important. Right. And it, unfortunately there's no, there's nobody, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, there's nobody, there's no overwatch. There's nobody looking at us and, and correcting us um, beyond public opinion. But what we're performing is like a very important task. And it will, it will get done one way or another. It has to, uh, or else the democracy starts to crumble. We need information. We need to stave off uh, propaganda as, as, as well as we can. And like with regard to, to what it would look like, you know, in reality, Man, I don't know. I, I think like I think Rogan was a good model for the the way that we can reshape how information is spread in a way that the legacy media kind of uh, is is really no longer capable of. But I think there will be people who emerge with the answers and the methods. And honestly, I'm I'm betting I'm putting all my bets on, on that it's like you, me, fetishy. And like five others who, who, <laughs> who carry that. I just, you know, that's a little unbiased uh, opinion on the situation. Sure, there we go. Uh, that we're the future. What's the future of media? We, You're looking at it, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The one and only. I mean, look, I, I, I to to build off on that, there is a, a part of me that has found it to be so weird. That, you know, this was the first year that I could afford to send myself on a campaign trail and I loved doing it and I loved hanging out with people that had, you know, that were expense reporting it. And now some of those people no longer have jobs, right? Like they just got an email that said, sorry, you don't work here anymore in a way that, you know, for that to happen, it would take uh, uh, hundreds of emails <laughs> from people to say, oh yeah. no, that little bit that I'm giving you, I am now lo- no longer giving you. And th- that's, it's so weird because I've never been in a Patreon situation through a 
economic downturn. Like every every other time, yeah. it's been through good economic times, and now we are, and it, it's up till this point certainly slowed compared to when I was on the road. But I mean, the content slowed as well. Um, but now it's 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 crazy. Like I, I don't know whether or not I should be telling these guys that they lost their job. Like, hey, let me help you set up a Patreon. Like, and and yeah. just do something where you can cash in. So push comes to shove, the next time that you get a gig you can always have this thing on the side that at least gives you some kind of money. The frivolous money is gone. Like the, the fun, the like unquestioned take this and, you know, go, go wherever. And report on this story. That's, that's, it's at least on hold. Um, But I think, you know, I think it's, you have something that is special and it's required for, sustainability and that's like this drive to get out and find the truth like the universal truth it's like you you told me we're drinking at a bar somewhere and you're like kevin you need to find the universal truth that's what you need in your stories that's what every story needs and you've got that man like that's that's people need that people want that like and that's what we need to have addressed that's what we need to do get out of media um, so it's I, tough, dude. I, I, I think that that's, we'll that make, is, we'll make it work. That is a good point though, that if part of what we all know so much so that we complain about like, Oh, this is clickbait. This is just there to push me <laughs> through six slideshows. So you can show me two Google ads, right? That we are <laughs> as a, as people who are interested in the news, you know, wise to the kind of tricks to milk us and like, if if we know it, then maybe that's this is on some level a, a, a correction to that. That the the things were getting so tight before that you had to milk the readers more, and now that we have the freedom, now that the 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 display ad money is gone and the Google ad money is getting less, and everybody's looking to you know try and and re affect their budgets. Maybe maybe the point, the good that comes out of this fire is that we get to rebuild something that is a little bit more reader friendly, a little bit more knocking off the BS uh, and, and just kind of getting to what people really want to read. We'll, we'll get to that. I think we already are like in, in some really creative ways. And it reminds me of uh, uh, talk, Iowa caucus night. We, at the end of it, we, we'd, uh, and we had a busy day going to different events. It was crazy. Yeah. It was a total meltdown. We thought it was going to be the major story of 2020. And boy, we have a surprise <laughs> about that. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> it wasn't even the biggest story of the primary. There were more stories oh, of the yeah. primary, let alone, oh, how young we were, Kevin, how young we were. Wasn't that crazy, that thing that happened years ago? I know. I know. <laughs> it feels it's, like it's so, years ago, dude. It so doesn't feel <laughs> like a real thing that is happening. Uh, uh, Kevin, where can people find you online? Uh, the, the Kevin Ryan with uh, underscores uh, between the and – or after the and uh, Kevin. Um, and uh, KevinRyan.us. This is my website. It's got my stories and stuff on there. Perfect. When's your next thing? Do you know when your next thing's coming out? Who knows, dude? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Who I'll, knows? I'll send it your way when it's uh, when it's out. Perfect. Well, well, we will uh, we will definitely spread it around. Kevin Ryan, thank you so much for joining us.
Always a pleasure, dude. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier. You guys are making it happen. And you get shouted out because you are. Middle-aged Mike, Chad, Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zachy Chan, TroubleFilm.com, Nick, Utah, Jimmy Montana, D-Laser, Captain Bunzo, Frozen Summers, Emily, WolfGlenn99, Berkeley, Stephen DeGen, NH, Blumkin, Robert, Eoxy, DL, Andrew, Brad, Brian, Daily Tech News Show, Darren, I pooped my pants. Jay Milius, Jonathan, Lindsay, Logan, MacBook Pro, Miranda, Nick, Nomadic, Olin, and Angela, Richard, The Lonely Now, and Thor. You want to join their ranks? You head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin R. Young. Same thing for Instagram. Guys, we're in rough waters right now. For a million different reasons. I'm very happy that we have an opportunity to gather and discuss these kinds of issues in a way that is calm and rational. And I can't thank you enough for not only supporting the show, but really being a part of this community and listening to this program. You know, there are some shows that talk about politics, others that talk about politics, and still more that discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares to talk about Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>